everyone. I'm Alan Bolio with ITR Economics, and I'm very happy to be able to answer your questions from a what I hope you enjoyed in the WTWH economic presentation. I know I certainly enjoyed being part of the event. Uh, an excellent group, um, and a lot of effort went into it on their their part to make sure that we could provide what I hope is actionable, usable, usable information, not only in the actual presentation, but today as I answer your questions. Now, some of them are, you're gonna find, I'm gonna say, uh, I, I, I don't know. That's a very interesting question, but I don't know. It's not uh, what I do. Uh, but we'll go through those as we go along. There are several that had to do with leisure and hospitality. Uh, one has to do with, uh, does the leisure and the hospitality sector have a multiplier effect like the manufacturing sector? No, I read that two ways. I, I took that to be the same as the manufacturing sector is in terms of magnitude, the answer is no, uh, not the same magnitude. In terms of does it have a multiplier, a multiple effect? Uh, yes, it does. Uh, it's integrating the economy, a lot of demand, a lot of dollars. So it certainly has a uh, multiple effect or what I would call a multiplier effect. Uh, when will it come back? Uh, you know, when COVID clears, as, as the question states, when do we see that happening? Uh, it's going to come back slowly as part of the questions that we're asking in terms of the leisure hospitality and in terms of travel. We're not going to see all of a sudden a flood uh, occur because people aren't that way. We will forget soon enough. We will slowly go back to uh, flying and all the rest of that and traveling and face-to-face -face meetings and conferences. And I think 2022 is going to be a very different year. Second half of 21, we're going to start being pretty amazed at what's going on. Uh, if the vaccine continues to roll out and if the variants uh, don't end up being, you know, worse than the first go around. I mean, there's so many ifs in through there. It's not just a vaccine, it's people's attitudes, it's what the media says and all the rest of that. I mean, I just looked at cases yesterday worldwide and they're coming down. I looked at cases in the United States uh, and they're coming down, Canada coming down. Um, so, I mean, that's all good. Uh, so we're seeing the right trends, which would indicate we will see more vacationing, more travel, more leisure, more hospitality, more restaurants as we go forward. Um, the restaurant industry uh, did uh, get hit. And the, this next question has to do with the uh, commodity prices rising. Commodity prices are rising, excuse me. And um, that means that there's a lot of price increase on food manufacturers who will have to pass it along to restaurants, who will pass it along to consumers. Uh, it also means that farmers uh, who feed corn, et cetera, are going to be seeing some uh, cost pressures, but they'll all be selling more, which is related to another question because their selling prices are going up. All in all, you would expect, and I do expect, that we'll see some upside pressure on the CPI for food. Uh, right now, the CPI, Consumer Price Index, for food is at 3.8%. It's been flat for about five or six months. So all these newer price increases in corn, et cetera, are not finding their way to the consumer yet. The natural outlet is to see that. It is not going to be unusual. It's not a surprise. And it's nothing that we should expect to be an immediate negative in any way on the economy. Uh, as prices go up, we will adjust. Normally we would spend less on travel or food or other thing, uh, not food, but travel or lodging, uh, eating out, that sort of thing. Well, that's already been curtailed. So if it goes up some and the average home sees, you know, an extra 10 to $20 a week, $30 a week, most folks are just gonna save a little less or find a place not to spend it. The reality is uh, I think the system will adjust as we go forward. 
Now, there are two questions as it relates to industrial machinery, uh, which is in phase B. I believe that was on a 312 basis, but I did not go back and check. The questioner asked if I can expand on how we see that industrial machinery as we go forward. Well, it's going to be in phase B on a 1212 basis well into 2022. Uh, with, with these presentations, we tend to uh, not go into years worth of uh, individual industry discussions, but on a macro basis we do. But industrial machinery tends to follow the macro environment. Then you're going to see this in a phase B, which is accelerating growth, good opportunities as we go through 21 and into 22. The, the other question relative to this had to do with machinery is in phase B. Again, I think that was a 312. And explain the difference uh, relative to manufacturing. Uh, well, manufacturing is much broader, and so the industrial machinery is uh, it's a narrower category, has some items in it which are feeling more pulled than overall manufacturing. For instance, automobile manufacturing would be more sluggish. So that's why you're seeing the, the difference between general manufacturing and industrial machinery. Although I did look at manufacturing yesterday, the 312 is doing really well in manufacturing, uh, that's a recovery that has begun. 21 is gonna be a good year for manufacturing overall. With the vaccine being so slow to roll out, how about the travel industry recovering? Uh, sorry, I forgot that I already answered that. That's gonna be slow to recover. You know, I just wanna pause here and comment on the fact that, you know, a lot of us want to assume that there's a known and given when it comes to the vaccine, that we immune or resistant factor. He knows that. Uh, we, uh, there's some popular thought that says we could still be carriers of the disease or the virus and still infect other people. Uh, I, you know, that's possible, but I remember reading, I think it was from Harvard, uh, somebody saying, well, that would be a first, because normally when you're inoculated against something, you're also not a carrier. If you've, uh, you know, gotten your shingles shot, you're not going to carry shingles to the next person, that sort of thing. So it would be unusual. Again, all the unknowns going on. Will we need quarterly boosters? Will we need, uh, you know, uh, every five years? Who the heck knows at this point? It's all a big test. So that's why there's going to be that slowness in, in coming out of this. How long will the housing market continue to grow? Well, it's going to continue to grow for quite some time, but it's going to be sluggish late this year and into early 22. I mean, you're going to be thinking, oh, no, it's come to an end. This is the end of the world. It's over. That's been great 21. But just understand it's going to go into a sluggishness, not a collapse, not a decline, at least not that we can see at this time. So enjoy 21. Don't not straight line forecast through the end of 21. Make sure in your sales projections you're thinking, all right, things are going to get real sluggish in the latter days of this year and into 22. Next one is I stated that there was a gap between S&P and profit. And it's not the same concern that there was in 2008 and 9. For the life of me, I don't remember saying that, uh, but I may have. I can get excited. But nevertheless, I can answer the second part. The questioner asked if I could elaborate since the spread has been there for well over a year. And indeed, it has, my friend. Uh, that spread has been there. Normally, I'd be very concerned about it. But the answer is there's a lot propping up the stock market. And you can thank stimulus spending and the Federal Reserve Board for that. Low, low interest rates are certainly a big help. Stimulus spending providing demand, stimulus spending keeping businesses open, uh, and the Federal Reserve Board basically saying, we're here for you. All of that's going to just bode well for the stock market, we believe, through the near term. Our ITR financial leading indicator is suggesting that things are going to remain fine in, in the stock market, S&P. 
And our uh, ITR optimizer, which you can send me an email about if you want, is also signaling um, a more positive outlook. Uh, that's a good time to stay in cyclicals. The price of copper is up, up, continues until when? Through the rest of this year. Uh, in presentations, we do not go long on uh, commodity forecasts. And so uh, at this point, just through the rest of this year, demand should continue to pull copper up. Housing here, industrial applications, the world recovery, uh, it all seems to fit well together that way. All right, any thoughts on the when the automotive industry and iron steel industry rebound? Uh, seems to be lagging with regards to MRO spend. Uh, it may be, I do not track MRO spend separately, uh, but the 312 is improving for US automobile production, but I expect that the 312 is going to begin to move lower in the second half of this year and into early 22. So it's gonna remain sluggish. And that's part of that difference between manufacturing and industrial machinery. So if you're looking for MRO in that area, you're not gonna find a lot of happy, smiling people uh, feeling a lot of pressure. And uh, I think you're gonna feel that lack of pressure in your own uh, sales numbers. Now, as far as steel, iron and steel, uh, that 12 month moving average is rising and it's going to continue to rise, I believe, into 2022. So very different than uh, the automobile industry. What is the outlook for Mexico? Am I still bullish? Phase B, yes, sir, in 2021. See you later. So it's not like it's a straight line, but nothing ever is. But yeah, I'm still bullish on, on Mexico. The uh, NAFTA 2.0, Canadian version, USMC, USMCA. Uh, is going to be beneficial to Mexico. Increased U.S. demand is going to be beneficial to Mexico. Sure, I'm bullish on Mexico now and through the longer term. I like this next question a lot. With a lot of blue sky in our future, it sounds like a good time to retire, right? When's it not a good time to retire? <laughs> Let me ask you that. I suppose right before a financial collapse, that's a great time to retire because you don't have to deal with it. In the trough, it's still a good time to retire because it's your investments, your 401k, IRA, whatever you happen to have, are gonna go up on the other side. So um, sure, it's a good time to retire. I have a hard time thinking of a bad time to retire. As long as your finances are set at uh, today's level, um, push the button and enjoy your life. And congratulations to you. Will we be less energy independent under President Biden, i.e. Keystone Pipeline? Uh, I don't know as I would go that far. Uh, we're not entirely energy independent now, even though we're the world's largest producer of oil and gas, because it's the type of oil that's involved also. And uh, we can develop other sources in the U.S. And we, can, uh, we are going to see an increase in renewables in the U.S. under President Biden. Uh, we certainly have the capacity to produce more. And um, so all in all, we may see ourselves a little less uh, energy independent. I'm not sure that I would uh, put us at a risk or in danger uh, as we uh, look at that particular action that you mentioned, Keystone Pipeline. If we see that fracking becomes an evil, uh, sure, that's an easy answer. But so far, the president has not said fracking is evil. Related question uh, had to do with nuclear energy, returning anytime soon. And my friend that asked that, whoever you are, I wish. Uh, I'm a nuclear proponent. I mean, it's, it's uh, Chernobyl and Three Mile Island were a long, long time ago. And today's technology is nothing like it was. I, uh, we use up 90% of raw material now as opposed to 10%. So it's a lot less waste, a lot more efficiency. 
President Biden does call it a renewable uh, energy source. It's strictly not renewable, but it's not fossil fuel either. So I think you're going to see that it's not going to go away, but I don't know if I'm going to go so far as to say I see a return anytime soon. I have not forecasted it, to be sure. And I'm afraid that might just be wishful thinking on my part because, um, you know, uh, I think it's a good answer to, to, to a problem. But nevertheless, not my call. All right. Uh, when it comes to uh, mining, in particular metals and minerals needed for electrification of cars, metals mining is on the rise and it's going to rise through the rest of this year into 2022. No, I did not look for the particular minerals that are used in the, used in the electrification of cars. We just looked at EVP, product, electric vehicle production, EVP, and noticed that, uh, you know, it, it, it certainly is rising, but it's not going great guns. Uh, it's a really small part of the automobile uh, pie right now. And there's a lot of changes that are going to be coming. New batteries, new technologies, new makes, new models. We will not see as much electrification of automobiles as as you hear in the media and, and you hear from politicians unless it is really incentivized to no end or we are told to uh, because it is still expensive, because it still has problems, uh, because it is does not answer all the questions as far as the environment. Your tailpipe isn't there anymore, but there's a lot that goes into lithium batteries, rare earth minerals, where do we get those from and all the rest of that. So uh, I think it's still gonna be a slow gain electrification until it is pushed by government or technology. And by the way, I'd much prefer to see technology make that switch that we could see all kinds of people afford uh, electrification of cars if we can produce the electricity without fouling the environment. Uh, those are the two ends of that spectrum. We'll see how that plays out. But in the meantime, metals mining up in 21 and extending into sometime in 22. Another question says, we are in automation production machinery, custom equipment going up. Yes, depending on the industry you're serving, you should expect to see automation production machinery in greater demand. This is a particularly good time for people to be doing that. I encourage all my clients to look at their business and say, what am I not doing to automate that I should? Labor markets are going to be, if they're not already, it depends on how you measure it, full employment, wages will be going up. We're not gonna see a flood of new labor into this country. Uh, we're gonna see an increase in immigration. That's not gonna solve all your labor problems. And so uh, businesses in general should be looking to automate as much as they can. Now, not everything can be automated, which means there's a great need for HR awareness and your HR VP or director should be sitting in on uh, strategic meetings because it's going to be an increasingly big deal as we go forward. And it was a big deal before COVID. It's going to be a larger deal after. Uh, does our manufacturing growth indicator include foreign manufacturers building plants in the U.S. to build their products? Well, we don't have a manufacturing growth indicator. We have leading indicators for manufacturing in the United States. Um, that's a different thing. But yes, we're well aware of foreign manufacturers building plants in the United States to build their products. That's tracking foreign direct investment. And the United States is a great destination for foreign direct investment. You probably heard recently where uh, China's went up and ours went down for 2020. That really comes under the heading of duh. Of course, ours went down, it's called COVID. Why would anybody pour a bunch of money in while all that was going on? And China got out of it and passed it much sooner than the United States. It is not a resurgence of China. It's, it's really just a, well, of course. 
and ours went down and theirs went up, but theirs went up, I believe it was 4%, and they were already well below the United States. And the United States got some, it's pretty amazing, because other nations got none that normally get money, like the UK. So it's still a trend that's in place. And the world is still looking to the United States for being a good place to manufacture. My brother and I did a webinar on that. I don't remember whether it was October, November, December. You can uh, go to our website and find that out. But the reality is uh, there's a whole long list of reasons why foreign firms are coming to the United States and why people are reshoring. Good, solid list of financial reasons why. And um, I think that uh, if you see that list, uh, you'll understand that it's just going to continue. Now, one of the questions that is not asked here is whether President Biden will roll back our view of China. If I didn't answer that during the webinar, I'll answer it now. I don't think he will do that because they are such a huge polluting nation. You cannot be sold out on everything you touch has to deal with climate change and at the same time be overtly friendly to what's going on in China. It just doesn't play well. Not to mention the, uh, the, the cyber events and other events that are going on. Uh, I would not think that that would be the case. I would be really surprised if, if that was the case. Do I anticipate a lot of raw material price increases in 2021? If that means a wide range of raw materials, yes. If that means a significant sustainable increase, no. I think things will uh, ease up as the supply chain gets better as we go through 2021. Things will get better in the supply chain domestically and internationally. We will see a return to a normalcy where we have not had normalcy in quite a while. And that will take some of the uh, pricing pressures off. I do not know the answer to the next question. Will South Korea be hit with a 10% tariff? Uh, I do not know. Now, as I have read President Biden's uh, American plan, he has said that he will put a 10% tariff on uh, goods coming into the U.S. that are made overseas by U.S. firms. So taken at face value, that would be yes if it means a U.S. firm is manufacturing in South Korea. It does not specifically mean that all South Korean imports will be taxed at 10%. So I really don't know. We'll have to wait and see how that one comes out. Many industries are suffering with suffering oil and gas market. How does that play into uh, our positive outlook for 2021 and beyond? Well, uh, Suffering is a relative term. Yes, uh, not a happy place for, for many people, but oil has been above $52 a barrel now for uh, a little bit. It was 58 and change as I got ready for, to answer questions for today. I had time to look at that. And so we're going to see some uh, increased activity. And we're also going to find uh, that that part of the economy will add to what's going to go on in terms of a stronger economy in the second half of 21. It won't be gangbusters, but neither is it an end of the world event. Uh, as far as the question goes, you can have a positive outlook for the economy in 2021 as long as oil and gas are not cratering. If oil and gas are in recession, that makes it hard for uh, U.S. industrial production to continue to move up. If oil and gas is um, evening out and rotary recounts, for instance, have just started to go up again. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to see that that adds to the 2021 outlook. How will a possible increase in minimum wage affect short-term prices for manufactured goods? Uh, it may not affect short-term prices for manufactured goods. That's a really hard thing to answer because we've not gone through a dramatic increase 
uh, such as being proposed by the administration. To go to a, a federal 15%, a $15 an hour over the next few years, uh, four years is a significant increase. And it will uh, raise wages in, in union shops, union wages being tied to uh, minimum wage. So yeah, that'll have an increase in costs. It's a question of, will automation, and in, in earlier uh, person who asked about automation, will we see enough automation so that we can decrease the labor content? Uh, is the labor content in what we're manufacturing so large that it'll necessitate a price increase? Will we see an erosion of margins? Or is our labor content so small that it's negligible? I mean, those are all factors having to do with the price of manufactured goods. So for some, I think it'll be painful. For the more automated, it is more manageable. And for those that have already done a lot of that automation, I'm thinking of a screw factory in Chicago that I've been to, uh, it's not really an issue. So it will depend. And I know that's a terrible answer, but see earlier discussion of need to automate. Uh, the RV industry has been surprisingly strong. Boy, hasn't it? It's been wonderful to see. I love RVing. And I, and I like to see that industry do well. It, to me, it's a, just a wonderful part of the economy and a wonderful way to live. Can that continue? No, no, it's not going to continue at the same strength. I would not expect that we're going to see the same number of units sold in 21 that we did in 20. And we're not going to see the same number of units, uh, same rate of rise, I should say, same percent increase, same strength in 21 that we saw in 20. I mean, we saw a lot of units flying off the shelf. We saw inventory levels uh, depleted to no end and delivery dates were stretched out for months and months and months as opposed to the normal two or three months one might expect. So uh, all of this is, is to say that it's extraordinary, but that doesn't bode well for sustainable. So there'll be demand. It'll be hard for manufacturers to meet that demand. And I think the amount of demand is gonna go down. If you just bought a new trailer, fifth wheeler or motorhome in 2020, are you really gonna go out and buy another one in 21? It seems like a lot of that demand was already consumed. You're gonna buy the consumables, you're gonna buy the things that go with it, but you're not gonna buy the big ticket items because you just spent 25 or $500,000, depending on what you bought uh, on that RV. Uh, what are the chances of returning to a gold-backed dollar? Uh, I would put that as, as zero. That's a great way for me to be wrong, to be so bold as to say zero. So let me hedge on that and go maybe 1%, you know, just so that I can say I wasn't entirely wrong. I don't see how that's possible. And I don't see any way with our debt that, that we can do that. Am I bullish or bearish on US steel market right now in general? Uh, I thought about that one and I thought, wow, that's a trick question. The demand for U.S. steel is going to be good in 21 and 22. We've already discussed that. And then we're going to see production do well. If you mean for the longer term, we still have a pricing problem. A lot of great things have happened in the U.S. steel manufacturers, and they have done good work. And in no way do I put any of that down. Uh, they've automated, they've modernized, uh, they've done all kinds of interesting and fun things to help out the U.S. steel market, and I, and I tip my hat to them. And yet, at the end of the day, U.S. steel prices uh, would have a hard time competing on a global market if it's just on price. Now, not all steel is steel, and not all steel is the same. There are different types of steel. Everybody in the steel industry knows that. But if we just want to talk in broad terms, if you can make it uh, in, in Turkey for 
and have it delivered for less than the cost of uh, having it made in the United States, that is a pricing problem. So overall, I'm going to give that a bullish, but I'm aware that there are some things that could keep that from being as exciting as a lot of people might uh, hope it to be. Now, with tariffs in place and, and protections in place, that's obviously a different uh, discussion. That's the hard part, though, is, boy, how do you know if those protections and tariffs are going to stay in place and for how long? Uh, that's a tricky one. A few years ago, uh, it says, you felt that China's growth and dominance was limited and that they were not in a position to take over as a de facto global economic leader. Is that still your sentiment? The short answer to your question is yes, that is still my sentiment. Their problems are greater than our problems. Uh, and I believe that uh, there will always be a, a major, not always, too long a word, for my lifetime, they will be a major economy, that they will be important, that they are a large consumption uh, base that will be growing in consumption as they go forward. The sheer number of people would seem to indicate that. So there'll always be good manufacturing and opportunities in China. Uh, there, I use that word always again, I shouldn't, but for a long time there will be. But the economic leader of the world, I don't think so. Still too many advantages to the United States uh, compared to China. Not to diminish them in importance, but uh, not becoming number one. Will the WTO uh, push back on Biden's 10% import tax? Jeesh, uh, uh, good question. Global political question, I don't know. I would assume so, uh, but I don't know for sure. Uh, could I comment on aerospace industry recovery? Would it remain under for years to come? I'm not sure would it remain under for years to come uh, below year ago levels. I'm not sure what that's all about. Aerospace, uh, last time I looked, aircraft production, rest of it has some positive cyclical things going on, some 3MMA rising trends going on. It does not track with the economy. Aerospace is, is notably acyclical. Uh, so, uh, but right now it's looking good, and I would expect that you'll see some more good news um, as we go forward. It's not going to be this great big surge that's going to make you smile every day, but I would expect that you're going to be pleased uh, with what is coming. Now, for the last question, uh, there's the one about the uh, end of the uh, this decade going into the uh, Great Recession. Uh, the questioner says, Alan has been suggesting to be prepared for a major financial event in approximately 2030. And thank you for saying it that way. I really appreciate your saying, be prepared uh, approximately 2030. A major financial event is a good way to put it too. We've been calling it the Great Depression. I have no problem with you calling it a major financial event. Great Depression seems to encompass more. Uh, due to recent events, has that general thought changed? Uh, Boy, we asked ourselves that same question because of all this debt that's been added over $3.1 trillion and counting. And, and uh, the fact that in this country, we have seemingly embraced the magic money tree of modern monetary theory and that we are uh, just going to spend, spend, spend and give, give, give and redistribute, redistribute and tax and all the rest of that is like, where does this end? Should we bring it in from approximately 2030 to 2027, 2025? I mean, are we looking at that? My brother and I spent uh, a good amount of time in 2020 examining that question. And the answer is no, we have not changed from approximately 2030. And what we come down to is the rate of debt has increased from what we thought, but the very low interest rates mean that it is not the 
pain point that will be going into the future. It will become a pain point in the second half of this decade. Now, along with that, the other triggers are not there yet. They're growing. They're uh, almost irrefutable in that the aging demographic around the world and the cost of taking care of us, I'm in that aging demographic, uh, the cost of taking care of us is going to fall squarely on the shoulders of uh, uh, millennials and Gen Xers, and they're going to be paying more taxes or debt's going to have to increase, and, and, or we're going to have to cut back on services, all kinds of things that could happen. But if we assume that we're not just going to put us out in a snowbank, then that's an extreme economic financial burden that will have to be borne by people who are in younger generations. And we believe that will be part of the trigger for what goes on. So inflation, higher interest rates, huge debts in economies around the world, not just the United States, demographic uh, overload in economies around the world, not just the United States, leading to a global major financial event in the 2030s. We talk about that in our book, which my brother and I wrote in 2014. We have looked at it twice since then to make sure it's still on track. Thumbs up, still on track. It's called Prosperity in the Age of Decline. It's available from Amazon as an ebook, as an audiobook, and as a print book. Uh, all right, there you go. That's the news. That's the questions. We're still on track. But in between, uh, expect a pretty good decade. Now, there is a, uh, there's always a recession coming. That's like the easiest forecast in the world. But we see clouds forming out there, but not in 21, not in 22. Um, and really, I think all we're going to see in 23 is some flattening at this point. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll let you know more about late 22, early 23 when we talk next. But so far, if I were you, I'd put pedal to the metal. I'd be buying that automated equipment, investing in my website, making sure I have the people in the HR systems in place, making sure that I am ready to rock and roll as we go forward, as long as you're not talking about travel uh, cruise ships, and you're not talking about leisure and hospitality, which is not going to rock and roll for a while. It's just going to be kind of rocky, and then it'll learn to roll again. Thank you very much. Pleasure being with you again, and I wish you all the best in the year to come.